Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is our very first guest ever on this show, Norm Eisen. (laughs) Norm, it's always a pleasure to see you. Um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the wonderful world of Donald Trump's indictments. So stick around for our, our usual commercial break as we introduce the show, and we will be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me is Norm Eisen. And if you need an introduction to Norm, well, you can certainly find it on Wikipedia real quick. He's with the uh, he's a senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institute, a CNN legal analyst, and co-founder and executive chair of the State United Democracy Center. He was also co-counsel for the House Judiciary Committee during the first impeachment and trial of President Donald Trump. And for that, We've got him with us today to talk about the ongoing litigation and criminal, uh, the felony indictments of former President Donald Trump. Norm, thanks for joining us. Um, I, I guess the you know the title of the uh, the, uh, the podcast is just ask the question. I'm just going to ask: you, Is he going to get indicted more than once? Once is he going to be indicted this week? What's the latest story on Donnie? Uh, he's going to get indicted twice more. Uh, likely before the end of the summer, once by Jack Smith. It's anybody's guess when. There's a lot of speculation in the Beltway that it's going to be a Thursday indictment followed by a Friday lifting of the seal, like happened in Mar-a-Lago. That's this week. I don't know if that speculation is right or not. Uh, And then he's going to get charged again in Georgia, most likely in August. One for the federal version of the case against his 2020 election interference and one for the state version as the attempted coup hit um, the uh, state of Georgia. And so let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, Rudy Giuliani was in court yesterday and confessed in that he lied in Georgia. Is, he th- is that going to lead to any indictments for Rudy? Rudy is certainly um, uh, uh, at risk in both um, the federal and the state case, probably at a little more risk um, immediately in the state case. As I wrote in my uh, big uh, 
uh, a big uh, uh, federal election interference model prosecution memo. I have one on Mar-a-Lago too that correctly predicted the Mar-a-Lago charges. Um, as I wrote in my memo, Rudy's one of the people most exposed in the federal case, but uh, Jack Smith may streamline that case and go just against Trump or one or two other co-conspirators to get the case to trial within a year. We know from the Mar-a-Lago case, he wants to go fast and that to do that, you need short lists of co-defendants. He really only had one in uh, the Mar-a-Lago documents case. So in the state case, Rudy uh, went to Georgia, as you say, he's confessed to lying in Georgia. Uh, I think Fonnie Willis is going to charge him. Well, now all of a sudden I want to play The Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels. I'm <laughs> looking for a stole to steal. So here is... If, if the devil if the devil were as incompetent as Rudy Giuliani, hell would be empty, Brian. <laughs> I, I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> well, how? let's talk a little bit about... Um, let's go back to the possibility of Donald Trump and, and the indictment pending here in, in DC. Um, I, I find it disconcerting that there are still many people to believe that Donald Trump won the election. I don't think you're going to ever convince them that, that he didn't. And there are those who know that he didn't and still continue to make hay over the fact that uh, they can con people into believing that he did. How, yep. much of, how much of a danger is that going forward? And he has promised practically civil war, or he's encouraged people to violence if he's indicted again. How how dangerous is that, and how should that be considered in the prosecution of Donald Trump? Well, um, starting with the um, more uh, generic assaults on the 2020 election, there are tens of millions of Trump followers who believe that election was stolen. Many of them are not that are not bad people. Brian, I know you've come across them in yeah. your like me, you've had a interesting life with uh, uh, you know uh, <laughs> an opportunity to meet a lot of people. And I don't think that those are uh, bad people. I do think they've been duped by Trump and his co-conspirators and enablers. Um, the concentric circles of complicity, like Dante's nine, it's the, Dante had nine levels. Uh, so there's the nine levels of, of Trump complicity. Um, and they've tricked these, these Americans. That is a, that, that um, is a danger uh, that can destabilize a democracy. It reminds me of the Dolchstabe legenda, the stab in the back legend that Hitler used yeah. to undermine um, German democracy by saying we were stabbed in the back. They were not stabbed in the back, but blaming Jews and others for stabbing Germany in the back and losing World War I. So... Um, it's very dangerous to American democracy. In terms of the violence, Trump has been somewhat careful. He has not done an overt call for violence, bring your guns. He alludes to it most recently. He's uh, rebroadcast um, on on social media uh, a um, 
uh, soundbite of him warning that things will be happening to people that they've never seen before if they f. Well, I guess I can say fuck on this but, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If they fuck, yeah. <laughs> if they fuck with um, if they fuck with them. Now that's a soundbite. It's an older soundbite. It's taken out of context. He's using it now as a veiled threat to violence, but he's going to have to be a lot more explicit before he gets things like gag orders because of the extraordinary protections of the First Amendment. So do you anticipate, well, look, I've said, and correct me if I'm wrong, look, we're already a very violent society. 400 mass shootings so far this year. Um, I don't anticipate, nor do I see indications of the fact that Donald Trump may be angry and his people may be threatening civil war that we will become any more violent should mm. be indicted and prosecuted and found guilty than we already are if you see differently please correct me. well it, it's interesting you know he's used similar incendiary language particularly in calling his supporters to the courthouse for the mar-a-lago arraignment no violence ensued. There were, you know, uh, protesters and counter protesters. Um, I think part of that is that the most violent uh, tending individuals, those with the greatest propensity to danger, were attracted to January 6th and have been apprehended and prosecuted and are in jail. So there's the January 6th phenomenon. And, and, um, and that has siphoned off uh, some of the worst of the, the worst of the worst. So uh, you don't see it becoming any more violent. I, I think it's always a risk when you have Donald Trump saying these things. We need to stay vigilant. That's another difference between now and January 6th is we pay attention. So um, no, I I think the I think people are taking appropriate measures, and as you say, we're already an excessively violent society. Too many guns. The greatest danger is a lone wolf uh, who takes uh, Donald Trump's exhortations to heart, and I think Trump means them to signal violence without making the overt statements that will get these judges to gag him. Can he be charged? That's with that. Not yet, no. He hasn't crossed that line. He he hasn't crossed the line. He knows how to toe the First Amendment line, and he's doing it. So you know, the, my greatest fear is that a lone wolf will take action. But I don't think we're. I think we we're short at the moment. This could change. We have to assess the threat level. But you know, I'm not worried about another insurrection arising at the courthouse or another government facility. Should Donald Trump? Um, face these third and fourth criminal charges that we've been talking about this summer. What I do see, and you you know far more of this than I, but I'll ask it. Look, what I see, if, if there's a real threat to the United States, what we're seeing is his empowerment of, of um, certain legislatures and governors in certain states to defy the federal government. As in Alabama, they are not uh, they did not carve out a second uh, district for black voters, though they were <laughs> told to do so 
by a Supreme Court that is overtly conservative and three of which three members were appointed by Donald Trump. And then in Texas, you see, again, this is both of these are states of the former Confederacy. In Texas, you see them defying the federal government's authority to police our own international borders. That's where I see the, the real threat to democracy is not in an overt rise of violence, but a covert subjugation of uh, federal responsibilities and laws. Yes, that's um, that's a good point. And it's that spirit of lawlessness. Um, uh, Montesquieu wrote a famous French work, The Spirit of the Laws. The book about Trump would have to be called The Spirit of Lawlessness <laughs> because he said, he set a model of defying the law while president and um, and these, um, in fact, I wrote a book about it, Overcoming Trumpery. It's <laughs> one of the seven deadly sins of Trumpery is contempt for the rule of law. And in Texas and Alabama and many other places nationally, you're seeing Republicans follow his lead. Yeah, uh, well, or at least using him as an impetus. I don't know that Donald Trump leads anywhere, but they use him as an impetus for their own nefarious plots. I, I, um, fair enough. Although I will say that I, I think that he has shown Republicans how far you can go uh, with, with, uh, uh, you can go as yeah. far as you please until they stop you so in alabama they're going to force the courts to order it they're not going to comply even though that is the ruling of an extremely conservative u.s supreme court so how does that play out i, I mean it's going back i mean you said they're forced to do it how, how how are they going to be forced to do it if they won't do it now there'll be a court order a direct court order under um um under penalty of contempt. And then if they defy that, the U.S. Marshals will come and start putting people in jail and fining people. Um, and ultimately, the courts will do it themselves if the elected officials will not. Do you see them doing that, that going that far? I do. Wow. You can't defy. The whole system falls apart. If, if the states can defy, you know, we're back to the era of uh, states. leading up to, we're back to the, we're back to the Jim Crow era or worse, the, the, um, the uh, period before the civil war, when the states were openly defiant of constitutional laws. Yeah, that's, and what about in Texas? How do you see that playing out? Well, I think that the I think Texas has exceeded its legal authority. There is a case, and I think uh, Biden and his administration are going to win that case. Again, there'll be court orders to remove the barrier, and it will be removed. Why don't they just what, uh, Army Corps engineers of the Border Patrol go down and yank them out now? Well, they want to be careful about avoiding a confrontation with the Texas personnel. Um, and they want to send the message, Texas may not abide by the rule of law, we do. So there, you know, the the federal government is always cautious about the exercise of that kind of 
authority on um, uh, on the ground, and um, and they're they're getting a very clear court order to do it. Sounds good, and I think I think they'll succeed. Yeah, I do too. I I don't think there's any doubt that they'll succeed. It's I mean it's pretty cut and dry. The federal government has authority over the international law uh, international border, not the state of Texas. That's why this Trump spirit of lawlessness is so important. <laughs> and then you see things like the Texas governor uh, and the uh, Florida governor competing with each other for which one of them can behave more illegally, for example, in tricking migrants and moving migrants around the country. Now, Texas authorities have made a criminal referral against some of those involved in a scheme masterminded by Ron DeSantis that tricked a group of migrants in Texas into going to Martha's Vineyard. And I've done a legal analysis of th those particular facts. And I think they're, they're very likely were Texas criminal violations. And there you have local law enforcement authorities who made a referral to prosecutors in Texas where this plot took place. Now, DeSant DeSantis is probably not uh, a, a part of that. And Texas governor, uh, just because he didn't go on to Texas soil, but he masterminded it from Florida. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he just said that the there was no insurrection, ignoring jury verdicts that found the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and their leaders guilty of seditious conspiracy, uh, ignoring the proof of the attempted coup so overwhelming that laid out their uh, in our model prosecution memo, among other places, January 6th committee report. So um, I, I think that spirit of lawlessness really is part of what DeSantis is using to compete with Trump. There, he's, he's attempting to say, I can be as, uh, I can be as um, unlawful as the former president if you give me a chance. I mean, can you believe that that's what it's come to? <laughs> No, I well, how about before we go to the break that the one that really I can't believe is the fact that in Florida, they've passed a law where you have to teach that, it you know, being a slave was OK because they gave you, you know, a, yeah, life skills, yeah, life skills that you could put to use for yourself. Hello. They put them any skills they obtained were put to use for their owners by the slave owners. There wasn't anything. The, they were slaves. <laughs> yeah. Um, the um, the 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 Florida um, uh, educational standards uh, for teaching African American history have been widely derided for unduly elevating the benefits of slavery as if it were a, a job apprenticeship program. Right, trade school is what I call it. That's what they um, make it look like. And but th that distortion is 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 one of many uh in that in those curricular uh guidance materials that to misrepresent um the background of the African peoples who were brutally 
subjugated into slavery that um, distort that um, that terrible institution and its aftermath. They minimize uh, the uh, history of Reconstruction, of Jim Crow. And so there, it's part of a larger campaign that DeSantis openly, and Trump, it's a race to the bottom, um, you know, uh, make America racist again, Mara. They're very proud of their Mara movement. And, um, uh, you know, I don't think the American people want that. So Trump's been repudiated. DeSantis is three times at the ballot box, 2018, 2020, 2022. And DeSantis evidently aims to replicate his losing streak. <laughs> and on that wonderful note, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we want to unpack some of the stuff that Trump's seeing in court, particularly the the, uh, the pending uh, um, indictment coming from Jack Smith. So stick around. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at Substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman, with us. Well, Norm Eisen, and Norm, it's always a pleasure to have you here, and you really do unpack things rather nicely for everyone. So let's start with, let's take a, a deep dive into what Donald Trump is looking at from Jack Smith regarding January 6th. The, the right. potential charges, um, does he spend a night in jail? What What is possible? When would he go to trial? All of that. I, I mean, I do know that Starting in October, this guy's going to be pretty busy in court through the following May. Uh, five out of those eight months, he already has uh, either uh, criminal or civil uh, litigation pending, criminal trials. Uh, so where does this fit in? Let's take me through that. Well, um, he... Uh... He will have potentially um, four trials between now and the Republican National Convention in July 2024, maybe the um, general election in November. Look, I've worked on presidential campaigns. There, there, um, there are uh, lulls. Uh, there's... <laughs> There's ample time to do pretrial stuff. I don't think you can jam all four of those trials in. So my estimation, Brian, is that there'll be at least two. Certainly the Manhattan case, the Alvin Bragg um, mm -hmm. case for the falsifying documents to cover up the um, 2016 hush money payments that were election interference, just like the 2020 election interference that we're talking about. This is like a gateway drug 
of election <laughs> interference in 2016, <laughs> Trump couldn't he couldn't sustain another um, another sex scandal after excess Hollywood. So he <laughs> he, he had those payments made. Um, that is um, going to go to trial in March. And I think there's room for one other. I believe what Jack Smith is doing, and I don't think Fonnie Willis is going to try to push her case to trial on that timetable. So I think what Jack Smith is doing is layering. If the Mar-a-Lago documents case actually goes, it's set for trial uh, in May at the moment, towards the end of May, 2024. If that goes, fine. If not, um, you're going to see the... Um, the the federal election case for 2020 interference going to go to trial um, instead at some point in 2024. So Jack Smith has set up a kind of plan A and a plan B. Of course, the Mar-a-Lago case being over. And then Fonnie Willis is very likely going to file a big sweeping RICO case, more than a dozen defendants. That case is going to take longer to try and I don't think she's going to attempt to jam it in in 2024, nor should she, nor should she, because um, Trump can't get out of that case as easily as he can the federal ones if he's elected president or another Republican is elected president. He can just order, he or they could just order DOJ to stop prosecuting the cases, to drop the cases, or Trump could even try pardoning himself or get a pardon from another Republican. So all of that would be subject to um, all of that would be subject, self-pardons would be subject to constitutional litigation. But um, um, the Fannie Willis case is a kind of insurance policy against that. So it's okay to hold that case for 2025 <laughs> or beyond. Because they can't do any, at the federal level, they can do nothing about it. And the pardon rules in Georgia, the structure of pardons, it's not done by the governor. It's done by a bipartisan pardon board. Uh, Trump is very unlikely. You're not, you can't get pardons until um, a set amount of time has lapsed after your conviction. So that, um, you know, that the, the Georgia case is more insulated. There'll be constitutional litigation if Trump is the winner of the presidential election, because he'll say, well, um, the Constitution prohibits and prohibits um, a criminal trial against a sitting president. But uh, I think that uh, uh, Trump has the lesser of that argument and the trial will be allowed to proceed. So when we take a look at what's coming up with Jack uh, Smith uh, with the pending litigation, what do you see him Trump being indicted for in this case for for January sixth? What's most likely to occur? Um, well, Smith has already signaled that there'll be at least three charges in the target letter that we learned of through Trump, and then details have um, have continued to emerge. Um, and those three charges correspond, I believe, we wrote about this in our um, yes. in our model prosecution memo. Um, the charges correspond to uh, basically three acts of the Trump 2020 election interference drama. And Act One ran from um, 
even before the election until uh, January 3rd, uh, 2021. And that is Trump trying just a, a, a bewildering array of illegal plots, desperately grasping at um, trying to get his own Justice Department to attack the election, getting state governors and legislatures to try to overturn the election, peddling disinformation to assault the election result, including in those um, approximately uh, 62 lawsuits he lost. Um, And uh, when all of that ended, all he had to show for it, it all failed. All he had to show for it was on the morning of January 3rd, after the last door was slammed in his face by uh, Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, a handful of false, phony, fraudulent, counterfeit, counterfeit electoral certificates, Brian, yeah. by the fake elector saying, I was the real elector. So then he moved to act two of the drama, pressing Mike Pence, using those fake electoral certificates to squeeze Congress. Uh, Pence was going to preside over Congress on January 6th. Pence recognized these fake electors as the real electors, or at least adjourn Congress for more investigation, throw things into chaos. Either way, don't let Biden, the legitimate winner, be recognized. That went on several days of intense pressure. Then Pence slammed the door in his face. That's the end of Act Two, morning of January 6th. And Trump only had one recourse left, and that's insurrection. Um, And Smith, there's three charges in the target letter that correspond to those three acts. The first one is 18 U.S.C. 371, conspiracy to defraud the United States. You know, you can't have false documents saying, I am uh, the presidential elector uh, legitimately chosen because Donald Trump won the election. (laughs) When you're not the presidential elector, you weren't chosen and Donald Trump didn't win the election. That's like uh, me making a uh, $7 bill with a crayon and saying this is legal tender. Okay, those are counted. So that's a conspiracy to defraud the United States with these fraudulent certificates. The second act, um, pressing Pence to throw Congress into chaos, that's a violation of 18 U.S.C. 1512C, Um, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. In this case, the January 6th meeting of Congress, Trump and his co-conspirators like Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Rudy Giuliani, Ken Sheffbro, another lawyer who cooked all this up, were trying to get Pence to um, upend the January 6th meeting of Congress and not recognize Biden who had won. And then the third charge, this is the most surprising, the third charge is 18 U.S.C. 271, a conspiracy to um, to deprive uh, uh, individuals of their civil rights. And that really corresponds to what happened on January 6th, because Trump was trying to use violence to um, deprive the 81 million Americans of their vote. They voted for Biden. He did not want Congress to recognize Biden that day. Even during the violence, Rudy Giuliani was making calls. Yeah. So, so that um, the, 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 
the ballot, the right to vote is the most basic of civil rights. Um, 18 U.S.C. 271 is a um, Civil War era uh, statute reconstruction uh, because um, these kinds of conspiracies to deprive the franchise or other rights um, away from African-Americans were distressingly common. We were talking about how the new Florida standards rewrite uh, or distort that era in American history. Um, so that's the third charge. And I think the three charges correspond to these three factual chapters. So, and we laid all that out in our report and in a supplemental one that we did on 18 USC uh, 271, the civil rights conspiracy. So on CNN, let's talk, uh, a couple of things come to mind from what you've just said. On CNN, you said earlier this week that uh, John Laro is a is a formidable. Um, uh, yes. Do you what? How yeah. do you see? You said he's very skilled. Actually, how do you see um, that proceeding with him? Is is that more troublesome for for the DOJ? Um. Um. Well. Um, I practiced law with Lauro at the Zuckerman Spader firm um, for years. Uh, he's He will put DOJ through its paces, but they have a strong case here. I mean, our model prosecution memo uh, is over 250 pages long. These, these memos, I did one for the Mar-a-Lago case, one for the Georgia case, um, a similar treatment for the Alvin Bragg case in Manhattan. They're very unique because... We really do get the very best. I got a bipartisan group of former prosecutors and defense lawyers with, you know, decades of experience at the most senior levels of American law to write this with me. You know, they're, they're massive investments. You do a really deep dive. Our assessment was that it's a very powerful case. And as good a lawyer as John Laura is, you know, he can't stop a speeding locomotive with his bare hands he's not superman but he won't make the kind of rookie mistakes and the stupid mistakes that we've seen from some of trump's lawyers ah. um and he he probably knowing john he probably has uh, done the single most important uh thing of uh for anybody who represents donald trump any attorney and that is to get paid in full up front John is very good at getting paid, and I, I hope he's gotten his full freight up front. <laughs> well, we all know that if he didn't, he ain't gonna get it. That's he's Donald Trump is notorious for not paying his bills. <laughs> That's <laughs> that is <laughs> that is the risk. That so, is the risk. What what Trump. follows from what what follows from what you've just said? Besides laughing at Trump for not paying his bills. Who who do you anticipate testifying? You had mentioned John Eastman, Mark Meadows. John Eastman came out the other day and said, look, you didn't break the law, uh, leading to speculation that he's going to be indicted. Um, and Mark Meadows has been notoriously silent uh, ever since uh, Cassidy Hutchinson came out and said he knew what the hell was going on. So where do you see that? Do you see either one of them being indicted or testifying against Donald? Um. I think that um, that Meadows, Eastman, Giuliani, this other lawyer, Chesbro, who really helped design the scheme, and Trump, uh, um, those five 
are really at the center of the bullseye, Brian. You can think about Trump and Meadows being the clients. They're in the middle. Right. And then in the ring, just around the clients are the lawyers. And the leading lawyers are Chesbro, Eastman, um, Giuliani, and this DOJ lawyer, Jeffrey Clark, who oh yeah, who was Trump's inside man. He was going to drag out in his I underwear. Think, I think that I think that those um, the the those six really are at profound risk now. Um, the um, the the Clark conspiracy. It'll be interesting to see if that is tried now or not. So put him to the side. We explain in our model prosecution memo. We would hold the Jeffrey Clark prosecution. There's a five year statute of limitations. And it's going to slow the case down. A lot of very intricate issues when it comes to the Department of Justice. Um, but for the remainder, I think they have profound criminal risk. Now, will they cut a deal to get cooperation from Giuliani or Meadows? We know both of them have been in conversation with the special counsel. We don't know if Eastman has done the same. There's no indication of it. Chessborough. So, um it remains to be seen uh, exactly who gets charged. The people who show up in um, Jack Smith's indictment of Donald Trump, the federal charges, could be a very short list, and then more people get charged later. Do you see anybody in Congress being at, at risk? I do not. I think that the speech and debate immunity um, and the complexities of prosecuting members of Congress are so great that um, it's just, it's too hard for Jack Smith. So, you know, part of the art of being a um, successful prosecutor is picking your battles. And, um, you know, you better be damn sure uh, that you have the goods on members of Congress, because they're the ones who um, who appropriate your funds. And I just think the case is they did wrong. What they did was shameful. They're enablers. But I think the criminal case is is a little too murky. One of the things you say in your uh, prosecution memo is that um, <clears throat> Trump and others named herein have denied wrongdoing. We include those denials and the asserted basis for them in our discussion below. If Trump or others are charged, they must be considered innocent until proven guilty. I know that there are plenty of people that are, and I agree with you on that, there are plenty of people that are already saying, hey, he's guilty when he's not even been charged yet. And there are plenty of people in Congress who are defending him without knowing what the charges are yet. There have been no charges in this latest memo, yet his defenders have already been up saying, look, he's not guilty. And it's it's the DOJ that's been um, uh, weaponized. So how do you balance those two things? It, it, you say here, our assessment that the known evidence meets the federal standards for prosecution should not be mistaken for a finding of ultimate culpability. But how do you reach out to those who don't understand the difference between being accused and being convicted? On yeah, you just have to you just have to say there's you have to say there's overwhelming proof here, but in the American criminal justice system, we wait for uh, the jury to rule on that proof. Judge and 
has an important role to play too, and the appellate courts. We let the process work. So let's analyze where we are today. Let's look at the proof we have today. It's overwhelming. But let's not short circuit the system. Let's be patient with the system. You know, don't let the, uh, don't let um, our justifiable, um, our justifiable alarm and uh, disgust at the behavior of Donald Trump and his alleged co-conspirators fool us into having the same disrespect for the rule of law that they do. Well, my question is, all right, I, 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 I understand his defenders jumping out and deflecting. That's kind of part and parcel of what they do. So hence we're seeing moves in Congress. I, you know, we talked about UAPs earlier. I, I'm sure part of everything being done in Congress right now is to deflect from what's going on with Donald Trump, including the accusations against Hunter Biden and all that other stuff. All of that is pushed out there while they claim that Donald Trump is not guilty for whatever it is he's going to be charged for that they don't know about. However, for those of us who were there and saw this and know know what happened, how do you tell those people, the, the uh, what do you tell those people, the, the potential witnesses like the police officers and those that were harmed by that insurrection? And I heard what Donald Trump said, and I heard what Giuliani said. Giuliani said trial by combat. And then it was Trump. Right. I will I will march with you up there and we will take back our capital. Those things to me are all indicative of uh, and I'm perfectly willing and believe me i believe it wholeheartedly you're innocent until proven guilty how does that work in for the what do you tell people who saw this experienced it and have suffered because of it well um this i would tell them the system is working um that the criminal prosecutions um hundreds and hundreds of them um are have um meted out justice against the worst of those that there's civil litigation that will attempt to recoup the damages that were caused that includes the uh, physical uh, harm and at least if we can't get payment in full for that horror uh, bankrupt some of those who are involved that it sent a message and there has been no widespread political violence since then, for example, in connection with the two Trump arraignments so far. Uh, But I would also tell them that, um, you know, no justice system can really make you whole when you've endured that kind of suffering and pain and horror for some of these um, Capitol Police and D.C. Police who were so afflicted by that day, the lives that were lost. There's no there's no justice system on earth that can make things whole. We're, we're, you know, the remedies are going to be imperfect, but they have our gratitude. We've tried to show that, for example, with the president um, presenting some of our nation's highest honors um, to those who so bravely defended the Capitol that day in our law enforcement. And uh, that we're going to continue utilizing this highly imperfect and often slow 
uh, justice system to its fullest extent um, until we squeeze every drop uh, of um, justice out of it that we can. Uh, and and I would thank them. And I do thank them. I talk to them and I do thank them. That, what you're talking about, which I was, I guess, in my roundabout way I was getting to, there are those who say, look, it, you know, it's just taken too long. And I say it's far easier to break the law than it is to bring someone to justice for breaking the law. So have patience, the system works. And I have, and I do know people who uh, have doubted uh, Merrick Garland would do anything or that Jack Smith would do anything. And I, I, and then I've known people who've worked with both of them who say, listen, these guys are on top of it. Relax, let the system work. So is that what, I mean, at the end of the day, well, I, I think that's a little, no, I think that's a little too complacent. Garland was too slow. He's ah. a friend of mine. I've known him a long time. He intentionally took a couple years to kind of get justice um, in the sense of the Justice Department to get main justice in order. He should have pivoted to the January 6th crime sooner. Um you know, the, the cases are taking too long to bring and both the criminal ones and the civil ones. So I, I would acknowledge uh, just a friendly amendment. I agree with the basic message, but I would acknowledge the imperfections of the system. You know, humans are imperfect and human systems are imperfect. And the justice system is is even more imperfect than many. We build imperfection in. Because the whole idea of America is we're going to give you extra, extra um, uh, safeguards against the power of the state. That's the that was the um, one of the core ideas uh, of the American experiment in response to King George and the British Empire, um, and. Um, of course, even that is imperfectly done. We were talking about slavery earlier. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it's all imperfect. It's a bit shambolic. It's a bit of a mess. But as um, President Obama had uh, this saying uh, embroidered on the rug in the Oval Office, it meant so much to him. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I would say the same about um, what's happening now, three years. And now that we're in the third year post-January 6th, um, <laughs> uh, uh, two, two, two and a half years plus into the cycle, um, the arc of the um, accountability is long but it's bending towards justice we're going to take well uh, we'll take another short break when we come back we'll have some final thoughts and words with uh norm eisen stick around we'll be right back hey you yeah you we're talking to you and we need your help as you probably know Independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast 
to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It's just asked the question. I'm your host, Brian Caraman, with me, Norm Eisen. And Norm, I guess as as we look, let's take a look. I guess in the future, uh, and this is a little bit of a guessing game, I I know, but how do you foresee the cases against Donald Trump falling out? There are a lot of people who say he'll never spend a day in prison. There are those who say he shouldn't. There are those who say he should be in an ankle bracelet. There are those who claim he's innocent. And there are those who say that this uh, whole mess has destroyed the United States of America, while you have others who believe, hey, it's, it's showing that our system works. Where do you fall on, first of all, on Donald? Do you, do you think he'll see any time behind bars? Um, I do think, uh, you know, now you're really requiring me to get out my crystal ball. When yeah. I wrote two weeks ago, expect a target letter, Donald Trump is going to get charged uh, in the um, uh, election interference 2020 cases. When I did the same before the target letter uh, in the Mar-a-Lago case, when I did the same in the Alvin Bragg case, so I'm three for three, Brian. Yeah. I um, also predicted state cases. We got the Michigan case against the fake electors. I'm on the record in a Brookings essay saying, look for some of these state prosecutors to move, not just money. Um, those are analyses based on, they're, they're not predictions really. Um, really what they are is it's an analysis of the meaning of what the data tells us today. Right. Assessing whether Donald Trump is actually going to go to jail or not is harder because there are too many contingencies (laughs) that we don't know yet. Will Judge Eileen Cannon, who was outrageously biased in Donald Trump's favor to the point where the 11th Circuit reversed her twice on issues concerning the search warrant of Mar-a-Lago. Um, will will um, she actually hold the trial on uh, May 2024, 20, uh, as she said she will, or will she wait till the last minute and pull the rug out from under Jack Smith? Will he get um, the uh, January 6th trial scheduled within the year? So that serves as a backup. She wouldn't um, be the judge on that. You know, right? She would not. No, that'll yeah. be filed in D.C. But you raise a good point. Well, most of the D.C. bench, whether appointed by Democrats or Republicans, even some of those appointed by Trump are perfectly fair judges. There's a couple of Trump appointees who stink. Will they get the case on the wheel, right? Well, Jack Smith is like uh, uh, lightning striking twice. He got Cannon in Florida. Will he get one of those, you know, um, Trevor McFadden? Like is just a terrible Trump judge here. But then you could get a Carl Nichols, who's an outstanding Trump judge. We got him when we sued Trump. (laughs) Well, you did fine. Yeah. <laughs> so 
<laughs> continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's too many. So the contingencies, it's a lot of contingencies to assess whether Trump will actually serve jail time. But it since, you know, your motto is just ask the question. The guest's obligation is to just answer the question. The answer is yes. Do. Oh, that's that's an interesting. And, and so ex- explain, if you will, dear kind sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think it's too many. I just think it's too many um, different uh, cases that are all kind of speeding at Trump. And I don't believe he can uh, dodge that many uh, bullets. You know, that scene in, that scene in, um, um, in the, the Quentin uh, Tarantino movie um, where um, Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta oh, yeah. um, are, uh, are um, uh, it's, it's the very beginning of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And they, they stumble in on a den of uh, uh, people who've heisted drugs and and the, these um these youths un, unload weapons on um jackson and tarantino and every bullet misses they look yeah. behind them they think they're dead after yeah. the guns go off and they look behind them the wall is full of holes not a single bullet hit them yeah. and that is that is that in real life when that many um, when that many cases are coming at you, you can't, they're not all going to miss. So um, I think that, um, I think Donald Trump is, if I'm forced to, I would prefer not to guess, but if I <laughs> just answer the question, yes, he cannot dodge so many cases, he's going to end up serving jail time. <clears throat> that, that's, well, we'll use that as a soundbite. So <laughs> let's ask you this then. Do you think he'll be on do you think he'll be on the ticket for the uh, Republicans in November of next year? No. Why? Kind sir. I don't explain. think I I don't think I because I think he's going to get convicted in uh he will have two convictions on his record by the time you get to the Republican convention. And even if he's won the votes, they have the power to reallocate. And I don't think they're gonna want a two-time loser on the ticket against Biden. It's gonna be an insane election season. It's gonna be one for the books, Brian. We'll need you more than ever to cover it. Because (laughs) I also think, I think you're gonna have this Republican chaos. I I also think that there's going to be a substantial third party with no labels. Um, um, And um, that is really going to lead to chaos. You know, we've seen the danger of third parties with uh, Ralph Nader. Yep. um, Costing, probably costing. um, Well, it cost Jimmy Gore Lieberman the election. Um. Yeah, John Anderson. Uh, 
may have cost Carter. You also have Ross Perot, which may yes. have cost Bush. Yeah. So if you've got a ticket headed by a Democrat, say Joe Manchin, who's made no secret of his flirtation um, with no labels, it's beyond a flirtation. It's like a, a one night stand or a mini night stand. Um, you know, um, I, this is going to be is going to be then Trump may not accept being rejected by the Republican primary voters or by the um, convention. He may attempt to do his own thing. So uh, it's an absolutely chaotic um, political environment that we're going to face in 2024. Yeah, well, I've already said, and I'll, I'll I'll second your emotion on there. I've said repeatedly, this is on CNN, News Nation, this podcast, others. I do not believe that Donald Trump will be on the ticket for the Republicans at the top of the ticket. Oh, fascinating. Uh, fascinating. So we agree. We're in the minority. Yeah, we are. And I, I think there are a number of scenarios by which he won't be up to and including the fact that the actuarial tables may claim his butt before before the end of uh well, he's, too, he's pretty tough his parents were very long-lived i don't think yeah he's under a, a, enormous stress and he's not a he's, he's not, a, not a slender he's not a slender man that that um uh is a risk factor but he's strong as a bull. I mean, yeah. one of the few, one of the things I admire about Donald Trump is he just doesn't quit. No, just doesn't quit, Brian. I know. So I, I, I admire that tenacity myself. I, I go, I, you know, I, you got to give it to him for that tenacity. Yeah, that that's a lesson to all of us: never ever to quit. Never. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. And finally, last question I'll ask you is: Where do you see? The country, I, you, you've outlined a very chaotic, and, and it it actually, your ideas and mine kind of jive on that. I, I Where do you see this country after 2024? Do you have hope? I mean, or, or do you think? I do. You, tell me. I do. I believe, I believe in the genius of America for all our flaws, for all the imperfections. It's a system um, that it's the world's, uh, oldest continuously functioning democracy at this point. Um, it's modern democracy. You do have Switzerland. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Switzerland is a direct democracy. We're the world's oldest functioning representative democracy. It's a hybrid of uh, the Republican form of government uh, driven with fundamentally democratic features like the ballot, the choice of the people that um, uh, Jack Smith is about to charge Donald Trump with attacking under 18 U.S.C. 271. Um, so <laughs> I, I think that there is, I think that there is a genius in the American system that un unleashes the genius of the American people. We're an ever renewing country, Ryan, fueled by the immigrants and the dreamers uh, who, um, who, um, are too idealistic to accept that um, the impossible is not possible. Like my dad, my dad was one of those. My That'll dad be the too. subject of 
that'll be the subject of my next book. Um, and so we have this uh, uh, perpetual genius of the American people refreshed by the most um, the, the, the most American of humans who are the, the people who come here wanting to join the American experiment. We have a structure that channels that um, energy and inventiveness and vision. Um, and so for all the, yeah, there's, there's a lot of imperfections. We've talked about some of them, but I still believe in the American system the American, the American people. And I think that um, our structures and um, our people will get us through this crisis as they have so many others uh, for the uh, past uh, 400 years plus. Um, and, you know, terrible atrocities along the way but also incredible triumphs. And um, we're, we're gonna overcome this challenge, uh, but fasten your seatbelts is gonna be dramatic. <laughs> I think we'll get there. It, it's gonna be a hell of a ride. The next year and a half is gonna be one hell of a ride. I, I, I think you're right there. Well, listen, Norm, thanks as always. It's a pleasure uh, to have you on. Uh, love listening to you uh, talking. I, I, uh, after reading, some of the stuff you've written recently, I just couldn't, I couldn't go much further talking about Donald Trump without having you on to talk about it. So thanks, thanks brother. Where can we, you where know, can we uh, see you? Um, you can see me on CNN almost every day and in the pages uh, of um, Brickings, uh, Just Security. I'm on Twitter and threads as Norm Eisen. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and I'm just asked a question where I'm a regular. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that. <laughs> and you were going to say kind words. So I, I, I appreciate that too. <laughs> so Great being with you, man. Yeah, always. It's a pleasure. So this is just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Karam, uh, catch up with us later on this week when we'll be talking to John Kirby. And we will also be speaking with, and can't really miss, uh, the great Hal Sparks is always a lot of fun to talk to. So stick around. That's coming up this week. I am your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.